Hello there and welcome back to the Label 1976 podcast. It is your host True Straub. How you guys doing out there? I know it's been a minute. Actually, it's been about a month now. Um, I do definitely want to start off and apologize for it being so much time in between this episode and my last episode. Life has been lifing. A lot has been happening. So that's all I can really say about that. But moving forward, since today is a new day and a new episode, things will change and things are going to get better. Um, My birthday really just got in the way. (sighs) It was hot girl fall. Uh, (laughs) That's about it. It just started off as hot girl fall to be completely honest about it um but starting off thank you guys for listening for all my new listeners thank you for tuning in hopefully uh you've listened to the previous episodes i have two seasons this will be my second season um this season would come to an end at the end of december and then i take a break usually in january and then come back for february so we're gonna make it do what it do for fall into winter and take it from there um off top Please follow the podcast so that you're aware and notified anytime I have any new episodes coming up so that you're just aware and it pops up on your uh, notifications on your phone um, so you're not looking for it and um, thinking that you missed something. You'll just know that it's up there if you follow the podcast. Um, You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook at true underscore straub. Uh, Facebook, you can actually find me too under Label 1976, uh, as well as Instagram. You can follow, you can find me under Label 1976. Uh, either one, True Straub or Label 1976. Also, feel please feel free to email me. You can email me at label976 at gmail.com. You have to spell out the nine, the seven, and the six. So diving right on in, my little catch up. Um, I don't know if you guys know or not, if you have animals or not. But my puppy, well, he's going to be a year in no, come November. But I had to like, I've just been doing a lot of research on him because I'm peculiar. He's peculiar. And it's always something new with him that I have to try to figure out. Because, you know, with, with full breeds, my actual experiences with full breed dogs. Because before I've had, I've had two Shih Tzus before that were full breed. And then now I have a Shiba Inu that's full breed. And I know sometimes those breeders be doing little funny style stuff. Like they'll have the brother and sister. Sometimes they'll breed those together and the puppy may come out, you know, kind of throw it off. For those of you who know what throw it off is, you know what throw it off is. For those of you who don't, let me use it in a sentence for you. My dog likes to sniff everywhere. Likes to sniff on the sidewalk likes to sniff other dogs urine for an extended period of time i think sometimes that is very very excessive probably more than other dogs i think he stole it off you get it did you get it so you should know what throw it off means then <laughs> you should know what throw it off means so i had to like really look up the whole sniffing everything every every piece of grass every sliver of grass I've spoken about this before when I initially got them and so the more I looked at it and I think I might have stated this before too dogs smell other dogs urine and stuff like that as like a a way of getting to know the other dog that was there before them or that peed before them they might want to they can they can tell if it's a girl or a boy from the urine they can tell if it's what it had for dinner uh what kind of probably what kind of breed they are Things of that nature, whenever you Google it, you'll see see what I mean. So, I'm just like, okay, this is fine. Okay, so these are like, you know how we do emails? These are P-mails, okay? Let's just call them P-mails. 
So I feel like my dog likes to give, likes to pass out the whole neighborhood pee mails because anytime he smells another dog's uh, wee wee, he may just go and pee in the same spot. Like he wants to be like, no, I pee here second and I conquered the spot now. And it's like, he'll, he'll, I'll see him come back around. Anytime we go out, it'll be the same spots, the same spots. Like they're just communicating through urine. And I don't know, I'm still a girl. It still grosses me out. It just does. It does. And my dog has a never ending flow of urine. I don't understand it. We can walk a mile. Walk a mile, come all the way, circle the block, come all the way back to the front door, and yeah, he's still peeing. I don't get it. Do you have a special, special side stomach that I don't know about? I don't know. Moving on. Um. So yeah, he's coming up on a year old, and I can't believe he's already about to be a year on Thanksgiving. It's crazy, but we are making it do what it do, and he's my poop. That's about it. So enough of the wheats, let's move on into my things you possibly perhaps didn't know. Now for my things you possibly perhaps didn't know, I wanted to speak a little bit on necrophilia. It is October, Halloween is coming up. I love horror movies. I know a lot of people don't, I just do. I don't know why I like to be scared sometimes. I don't know why I like adventure like that. I just like it. Now I don't like uh, exorcisms and stuff like that. I don't like exorcists and stuff like that. Don't like that kind of stuff. Don't like demons. Don't like zombies. Don't do any of that stuff. I like paranormal. I like scary. I like spooky. I like psychological thrillers. I like psychological dramas. I like stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of movies that I watch and everything. I like just really interesting things. Uh, I love documentaries. Blah, 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 blah. So in the spirit of this time of year with Halloween coming up, I wanted to speak a little bit about um, necrophilia. Now, I know you might be like, wow, why do you want to talk about that? I want to talk about it because it really goes into a lot of different avenues with different serial killers and different uh, people that um, are in our society. I don't think we really name things necrophilia like it should be named, in my opinion. Only this is only going to be my opinion. So let me give you the definition of necrophilia. Necrophilia is sexual intercourse with or attraction towards corpse. So that's sexual intercourse with or having an attraction towards corpse. So I want to I wanna put my bid in on putting this under that umbrella. Whenever you have a serial rapist or a serial killer um, or just any type of person that has to drug someone and wants them completely knocked out in order to take advantage of them and have sex with them or whatever like that, I feel like that's a form of necrophilia. It's so crazy because I was looking at this interview with this comedian. Um, I want to say it was on Comedy Hype on YouTube. And they were talking about why don't we ever talk about how Bill, Bill Cosby is like a, in the necrophilia. I mean, he was drugging all of those women. And I still know that a lot of people don't, you know, that's a sore spot. A lot of people don't feel like he did it. A lot of people in our community don't feel like he did it. That's fine. Tiptoeing on that. Let's say, what if he did? If he did do this to like 60 women and he had to drug them each time they were completely knocked out while he's doing it it's like your your body is limp is that not a form of necrophilia hmm you know what i'm saying i'm just putting that out there and to me i feel like it is i feel like it is anybody that has to completely knock you out completely knock you out like you're not you're not here you wake up and you you back at home you don't even know what happened at all you're not here so how is that? How would that not be? Your your body is is flailing all over the place. You're just you're out of it. 
you're not here. So why wouldn't that be kind of a form of necrophilia? No, you're not dead, but your body is still, you're still not with your body. So just food for thought. Now, where it turns into the thing you possibly perhaps didn't know is that there are 14 serial killers who practiced necrophilia throughout history. The one in particular I want to speak about really quick is Gary Ridgway. Now, I've never heard of Gary Ridgway. I had to do some research to uh, when I found when I came upon the 14 that it was 14 necrophiliacs. Um, I actually ran across Gary Ridgway and I had no idea about who he was. Um, it looks like he was around in the 70s. But his story, just really quick, is a trip. Now, he was similar to Ted Bundy. He was called the Green River Killer. So he would strangle his victims, dump them in the woods, and then return to their bodies much later in order to have sex with them. So the biggest difference between Gary Ridgway and Ted Bundy in the aspect of the necrophilia was that Ridgway was embarrassed about having intercourse with corpse, whereas Bundy saw it as part of his ritual. After some coaxing during a CNN interview, which you guys can probably find that CNN interview, and I'll put the link um, in the description of this um, episode. In the CNN interview, Ridgway discussed how he went about uh, defiling his victims' bodies. So he stated in the evening, right after he got off work, he would go and have sex with uh, the person that he had murdered the day before. And that would last for like one or two days until the flies started to come around her body. And then he'd bury them and cover them up, and then he'd go look for another person to murder. And when he was asked why he was having sex with corpse, he answered, One thing is, you don't have to pay for it. She was already, well, she was already dead. So for him, him not having to pay for sex was like his motive to go ahead and kill these women and have sex with their bodies. And because that, that was free. So yeah, that was sick. But hey, again, it's October tis the season and that is the end of my things you possibly perhaps didn't know hope you learned something for today's topic i wanted to discuss the jeffrey dahmer series on netflix now um before anybody gets their panties in a bunch i honestly had already started watching it i was like up to episode three when i found out that the families were not being compensated for the story again and actually you guys this is like the eighth or ninth jeffrey dahmer documentary in some kind of way it's not a documentary. The series isn't because it's it's like loosely based on it, but it, no, nah, not even loosely based on it. it. That's exactly what happened. The series is exactly what happened. So I guess you can call it a documentary of some sort. Um, but I initially just started watching it because I watch everything by Ryan Murphy. He's a great director, uh, creator. I watch all the American horror stories. I'm familiar with Evan Peters, which is who played Dahmer he's a great actor he plays in all of the American Horror Stories so I was already a fan anyway of Ryan Murphy's and I felt like if he was going to do it and put his spin on it then I was going to be here for it but honestly I don't think I would have watched it if I would have known beforehand that those families were not being uh, compensated for the story because it puts the families into more trauma having to relive that every single time because as the families were stating is that those phones start ringing again, the newspaper articles start coming out again. You know, it's all on social media now. This is a different time because this Jeffrey Dahmer stuff happened in 1991. I wasn't even graduated from high school yet whenever this was going on. Um, So, yeah, they have to relive it every time a new movie comes out. And that could, I'm sure that's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. Um, So I do want to just put that disclaimer out there. I did not know that. 
but I'm just going to go ahead and give you my thoughts on it. Now, you've either seen it or haven't seen it at all or don't plan on seeing it. So I will just say off top, this is going to kind of be like a spoiler alert. So with this, the takeaway that I took from Jeffrey Dahmer um, is just that, you know, his dad, his dad had such a huge part to play in his upbringing. And this is why it's so important for people to spend time with their children. Spend time with your children, but spend good quality time. Because I think a lot of times, you you might be, he was just so weird. He was just so weird and like, I think he was very disturbed and a severe introvert mixed with psychotic. I'm introverted, but I also have some extrovert uh, traits as well. But for the most part, I'm an introvert. It takes me a while to warm up uh, to people. I got to know you for a minute before I start talking. People sometimes can't believe it and be like, you're not shy. I'm like, no, I'm very, I'm very shy until I know you. But with Jeffrey Dahmer, it just seems like he was so weird. He didn't even really know how to even start off a conversation or know how to have any friends, no, have anything to say. You know what I mean? So him and his dad would just go out. It seems they would go out and Jeffrey started getting like had this fashion fascination with roadkill. If anybody knows this textbook serial killer, they start off on animals first. Everybody knows that even back then in the 70s or early 70s. Uh, I think it was like middle 60s, early 70s when he was growing up. But like even then, everybody knows that serial killers start off with animals. You're riding your son around. Y'all are picking up roadkill. You're taking it back to your um, garage, your home. And you guys are dissecting this, this roadkill and you're stuffing it. You're doing taxidermy in your garage with your son. You're not asking him, asking him about any dating girls. You're not asking him about any friends. You're not asking him why he doesn't talk to anybody. You're not having these conversations with your child. And I think that uh, I was just so conflicted watching the whole thing because I'm like, with this being the eighth or ninth Jeffrey Dahmer story, I'm like, okay, because some of the episodes were kind of like they're trying to humanize, humanize him and humanize serial killers in a way because let's just face it there are far more um caucasian serial killers than there are black serial killers it just is that's those are facts but what i'm saying is with these type of series are we trying to humanize the serial killer or are we just trying to get into his psyche to understand why he did what he did type of thing because all in all, at the end of it, he was still a serial killer. He was still like a horrible human being. He still had all of these different chances to leave people alone and let them walk free. You know what I mean? And there's so much and my thoughts are all over the place with this because I just kept taking notes and jotting stuff down. So please excuse me if I'm all over the place with it. I do want to say that Niecy Nash did a great job. She did a really, really good job. Um, the woman that she portrayed was the neighbor and her name was uh, Glenda Cleveland. And uh, Glenda, she just knew something was wrong the whole time. She called the cops on numerous occasions, numerous occasions. I think more than 10, more than 10. And the little, it was a Laotian boy um, that Jeffrey actually had had in his home. And the boy had got out and everything, had escaped and everything. And Glenda, which is Nisi's uh, character, um, Glenda and her two daughters saw the, saw the boy. He was probably like, I think he was 14. He was 14. He's out on the stoop or whatever, but he's an immigrant. And back in th those days, immigrants were just, you know, they were treated badly in California like that. 
So, um, and then also homophobia was running rampant back then. So the way that Jeffrey got the boy, got the cops to let him go and, and take him back in his home was to tell the cops, oh, this is my boyfriend and, you know, I'm gay, it's homosexual stuff, blah, blah. And so the cops, uh, seeing this white male and this, this black woman and her two kids, her two children, her black daughters saying, hey, this, this boy looks like a little boy. Looks like a little boy. You shouldn't let him take him back in the house. The cops aren't going to believe these black women over this Caucasian normal looking white man and this Laotian boyfriend that he has. Alleged boyfriend that he has uh, with the bunny ears. Alleged. This little boy was 14 years old. He had drugged the boy and everything and the boy had got up enough strength to bolt out of there. And the cops let him walk right back in Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment with him. And then, of course, he killed the boy and... Uh, you know, that was pretty much it. And it was just more of the same, more of the same. Uh, I want to say it was seven, he had 17 victims and all. Now the Laotian boy really got me. Well, first of all, all of the victims, my heart goes out to all of them, the Laotian boy, and then the deaf, uh, it was a deaf victim that he had. And his name was Tony Hughes and he was 31 years old. He was deaf and he was mute. So before I go completely into Tony, I just want to say one more thing about the Vietnamese, um, the Vietnamese victim. Now, as far as the Vietnamese victim, this is kind of tricky because there were two of them and they were in the same family. One was murdered and one was raped and it was both but was by Jeffrey Dahmer. So basically when it comes on, you see the one boy, he's sitting on the couch because uh, Jeffrey had actually bought him some wine coolers. Don't know who drinks wine coolers. That was then, back then, you know, kids... 14, 15, I guess Bartles and James was, was hitting back then for that or whatever. And Bartles and James was enough for him to go back to Jeffrey's house. But being that they were immigrants, he needed some money. Goes back to Jeffrey's house. He sits on the couch with Jeffrey and, and he's asking him, he's like, you don't remember me, do you? Jeffrey's like, no, you know. Oh, oh, and again, and Jeffrey was alcoholic, like straight up alcoholic. He was. So Jeffrey's like, no, and he's mumbling and stumbling. And the boy's like, yeah, you got in trouble for, um, for uh raping my brother last year so i'm thinking to myself like then why is your little tail sitting on this man this rapist couch why would you go back with him if you knew who he was but i guess this is how hard up their family was for money being immigrants at that time back then so jeffrey's just like oh that was just a misunderstanding blah blah um you know i just wanted to take some pictures of you because that's how he would lure all these people back to his home is that he would tell them that he was a photographer he wants to just take some pictures of them and that's just it or whatever he's picking up all these people from the gay club picking up all these people from different areas saying that you know i just want to take some pictures of you and these people are falling for it the little boy goes and that was that on him so that was the one that he actually ended up murdering but his brother is the one that he ended up raping so they all go to court uh, the Vietnamese family goes to court and the judge, Caucasian judge, is sitting there and the father of the Vietnamese boy, the one that got raped, because at this time they didn't know that the second one had been murdered as of yet. So the father is talking and he's, he's speaking in, Taga uh, what is, La Laotian. So um, he's speaking in Laotian and the judge is just sitting there like, what? Like he's just looking like he's having a hard time understanding him. And he had a really thick accent. So he has his 18 year old son come up and um, actually speak for him and translate for him. So the father's just like, you know, we're immigrants who came to this country to earn a good living and blah, blah, blah right? So the judge just kind of like looks at him again and just like, you know what? Can you just, 
Can you just, you know, just put it in a, just put it in a statement, write it down somewhere and give it to the recorder and she'll, uh, we'll make sure that I read it later because I just really can't understand you. It was so maddening. It was like blatant racism. Like th this man is trying to tell you about what this grown man did to his kids. And you're like, you don't have time to hear it. Then Jeffrey didn't get any jail time. All he got was suspended sentence and probation. Are you serious right now? Is this happening? It's just maddening, <laughs> maddening. And this really happened. That's what blows, that's what blows your mind while you're watching it. And it, I mean, this could be like a two hour episode. I'm not going to do it. Um, but I do want to go into the Tony Hughes one. Now the Tony Hughes episode, uh, the 31 year old, um, African American male that was, um, deaf and mute. So his episode, it was so brilliant because it was beautifully shot. Because the whole episode was, um, it was just no sound because he was deaf. So it takes you through, probably through the lenses of his eyes, through his eyes. So the whole episode is just silent. And he's signing and stuff. He was a beautiful man. Like just, he was just deaf. Um, but very smart, uh, very articulate, everything. He would always have a pad with him. He would just write everything down. And Jeffrey was just like enthralled in him. And you're thinking when you're looking at it that this is going to be the one that he doesn't murder and everything, right? Because they actually went out on dates. They actually spent time together, like three and four dates and stuff. You know, he made him stop drinking for uh, during the week and stuff like that. Like he was like really trying to better Jeffrey. And it looked like Jeffrey just wanted people to stay around. That's why every time he would kill someone, he would keep their corpse in his house. And by the time he ended up killing Tony... Um, when I read the what really happened and not the way that the series actually portrayed it, whenever he killed Tony, he left his body on the floor in his bedroom for three days until it started smelling. And that's what Glenda Cleveland would smell all the time because she was the next door neighbor. She was just always telling him, it stinks at your house. What is going on? What is happening? You know, what's wrong with it? It's coming through the vents. And Jeffrey would always just be like, it's some bad meat. The meat must have went bad in the freezer, blah, blah, or whatever. But he would never do anything to her. He would never do to, do anything to anyone um, that he didn't drug. And that goes back to the beginning of this episode. You know, it was the same thing. He was such a punk in the way of to where he couldn't straight up fight you. He wouldn't straight up fight a man. He would always have to like disarm them some kind of way. He would bring them back to his crib and he would put something in their drink. And the guy that actually got him caught, the last guy, cause it goes from the end to the beginning. The show does, I kind of like when, when things do that. So when it first comes on, the first guy that he brings to his house on the first episode is the guy that escaped and um, didn't drink. He drunk, a, I think he drunk a little bit of the Coke. Imagine somebody giving you some coke and there's some white stuff float, floating on the top. I'm not drinking that, Shotty. I'm not drinking it. But, you know, that's kind of how you got most of the guys. But, yeah, it was just, it was traumatizing. I finished it within, like, a day because it was, I was enthralled in it. But it was definitely a lot. It was definitely a lot. Um, but, again, my heart goes out to all of the victims. And, like I stated before, I could go on and on and on with this. I had this... I didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg with this, but, um, I won't say it's a much watch, a must watch because like I stated, the families didn't get compensated. Um, Tony Hughes's mother actually just came out six days ago and spoke with, um, I want to say MSNBC and was just 
stating how, how upset she was that they brung this out again and that they never told the families that they were doing the series at all. Who knows, maybe down the line the actors or the director will come back and give them some of the money from what they made on the series. I mean, that would be the, I guess, godly thing to do. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. So Jeffrey, I was talking to a friend about this. So Jeffrey, he becomes, um, he got saved the day before he was murdered because you know he was murdered in prison. A black man actually murdered him in prison. Murdered him and another uh another murderer that were all on like housekeeping duties in the cafeteria everybody truly thinks that the one of the guards let the uh, black dude out to kill jeffrey uh but yeah he wasn't in prison i think like a year before somebody got to him and hey an eye for an eye um but the day before he was murdered he turned his life over to christ so that would be a whole nother episode about um, does God forgive and forget those kind of sins? The sins that he did, eating people, um, having sex with dead bodies, putting them in acid in the corner in his bedroom, keeping their bodies on the floor. So, you know, a, a day before you get murdered, you turn your, your life over to Christ. Did he go to heaven? What y'all think? Email me at label976 at gmail.com. And let me know. For my label 1976 music spotlight, I chose the duo Tegan and Sarah. I absolutely love Tegan and Sarah. I was introduced to them probably 2013. Um, they're a Canadian indie pop duo. And they formed in 1998 in Calgary, Alberta, um, Canada. They're identical twins. Um, they both were born September 19th of 1980. And they write, produce, and perform their own songs. Um, they have a total of 10, well, right now, 9 studio albums. Their new album comes out on October 21st. I can't wait. Their stuff is more so like, um, I wouldn't say it's rock. It would be like soft rock, poppy. But it's kind of alternative as well. They kind of put you in the mind of the Cranberries, but it's two of them. Um, they've performed with Taylor Swift before. Uh, they do a lot of like breakup songs or getting over people songs. And like some of the stuff is kind of like, um, some of it is happy, but a lot of it is like more so mel melancholy, like fall music. A lot of their stuff is just really good. I can't really completely describe them. You would have to really listen to them on your, for yourself. Um, I'll put some links in the bio of this episode but they're definitely worth uh, looking up they have a lot of live performances on youtube again so that's tegan and sarah and um their most notable album is called heartthrob uh love you to death and that one every song on that album was a hit they did have like a huge hit um the first single on the album on that album was closer and it's like it's like a slow build all their songs are like a slow build they're all danceable but I definitely beseech you to listen to some Tegan and Sarah. It'll definitely make you smile. And also, they've collaborated with Cindy Lauper before. Um, so they can kind of put you in the mind of her, a little of her, like her her funness, her uh, jovial ways that she used to have on uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Um, but yeah, that's my label, 1976 Music Spotlight. Uh, thank you guys for listening. That concludes this episode. Again, please be sure to follow the, the actual podcast so that you're aware of each episode every time they come up. 
Also, please be sure to follow me on Instagram at true underscore Straub. Follow me on Facebook at True Straub. You can email me at label976 at gmail.com. Until next time, please remember, it's good to be loved, but profound to be understood. Shit.